I'm Liz Wall. And I'm Jessica Aro. President Biden has called Russia's invasion in Ukraine a genocide. Mariupol City Council estimated 22,000 civilians have died in that city since Russia started the invasion. Ukrainian authorities are investigating the reported use of chemical weapons there. So many reports and evidence of atrocities against civilians, rape of young girls, and even reports of children raped, execution-style murders of civilians, mass graves. It's unfathomable um, and unthinkable, really. Of course, Russia does what it has been doing for nearly a decade since the beginning of its war, uh, calling the atrocities fake and staged. It's a cynical response to these unspeakable crimes and Putin's lies and his, his systemic method of spreading them are part of a greater information war against the democratic world. And you, Jessica, have been investigating Putin and the Kremlin's lies and distortion since the beginning of the war in Ukraine uh, when it started in eastern Ukraine in 2014. And you've been personally impacted. And for a while, these so-called Russian trolls have turned your life upside down. And your book, Putin's Trolls, details the Kremlin, how the Kremlin has targeted many others for daring to report the truth or advocate for democracy. So we're going to get into more of those stories in um, uh, these surprising and harrowing stories in a bit. Um, first, want to ask you about this news about NATO um, in regards to the war. Finland and Sweden are set to join NATO as soon as this summer. This is forcing other neighbors of Russia to radically rethink their security. It is a pleasure to meet with Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson here. And so to Stockholm today, where the leaders of Finland and Sweden, once neutral nations, announced the possibility of joining NATO. Of course, everything changed when Russia invaded Ukraine. I think people's mindset in Finland, also in Sweden, changed and shifted very dramatically because of Russia's actions. Finland, where you are at the moment, of course, shares uh, an over 800-mile-long border with Russia. And for the most part, I uh, wanted to ask you, would you say that the people of Finland welcome joining the NATO alliance? And how has Russia's invasion of Ukraine changed the Finns' position on NATO membership? Yes, completely. Uh, some have said that Putin and his warfare... Uh, have seriously been the best possible campaign there ever could have been uh, promoting Finnish uh, membership in the NATO. Never before have the support uh, polls been so high. Uh, we are seeing uh, at the most over 60% of Finns are now saying yes to NATO. And this is certainly never before seen. And... What has changed is that finally um, many Finns have started to see Russia as a military threat. Uh, earlier, uh, before this accelerated warfare against Ukraine and all these uh, war crimes and terroristic acts against civilians, as you were listing, 
many Finns kind of had hope that Putin would still democratize, make reforms and take Russia to a kind of normalcy. And for example, just a few years ago still, only 61% of Finns were critical against uh, Putin. They were for, we ha- have been, for example, much more critical against Trump, which is really uh, surprising. So, but now really in really small um, window of time, uh, very soon after the end of February, uh, as soon as Putin started his uh, disgusting attacks uh, against uh, civilians, uh, Finnish really quickly started to support NATO. And there were actually two uh, very popular citizen petitions also started, uh, which promoted Finnish membership. And they really quickly gathered the 50,000 names, which is needed in Finland in order to get the petition to the parliamentary decision-making process. So Finns have truly shown their will. And you know what is really interesting? Um, The Kremlin is all the time attacking uh, Finnish uh, ideas and discussions and uh, even potential future plans of joining NATO. Uh, just um, some time ago, a couple of weeks ago, and then again, uh, some days ago, uh, the Kremlin and the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Russia actually again and again threatened Finland, if we join NATO, then there will be repercussions. So they always try to do this, and they have done this for so many years or even decades. They have tried to stop us from joining, but Uh, there is no stopping us anymore, I feel. Right. When you see what's happening in Ukraine, um, Ukraine not being part of a part of NATO, um, he's done, Putin has done the best job that he can kind of making NATO cool again, (laughs) making NATO relevant again. For a while, it seemed like NATO after the Cold War, um, there was some some question as to whether or not they were relevant. And as we're seeing today, uh, NATO absolutely is relevant. And we're seeing other countries um, scrambling to join um, as we see these the invasion of Ukraine and the atrocities being committed there. want to pivot to your book, um, because a big part of Russia's war in Ukraine is um, his information war. And leading up to the invasion of Ukraine, um, he primed the people of Russia, dehumanizing Ukraine, um, making it, uh, spreading this narrative that Ukraine is not even in, not even a country. Um, and then, uh, and then within Ukraine, um, stirring all these kinds of conspiracies about the government targeting ethnic Russians and this false narrative of Nazis and neo-Nazis in Ukraine and um, and just the, and just the information warfare aspect of it has been a, a big part of Putin's strategy. 
Um, in, in your book, you tell the stories of Westerners who have become targets of the Kremlin and its proxies, everybody from diplomats to journalists to researchers. Um, what happened to these people? Why did the individuals that you discuss in the book, why did they become targets? Yeah, thanks for asking. It appears uh, that the Kremlin and Putin personally seems to be so petty and so desperate with his a will to control the Western world and Western public debates uh, that he is uh, willing and able to send out troll factories and fake news armies and security service officers to try and destroy people, even in the West, uh, who state out something a significant about the Kremlin and its policies. So he basically wants to eliminate any critical discussion or even factual discussion and debate about uh, Russia and the Kremlin's policies. And it goes so far that uh, he is uh, personally going after some Western citizens and is willing to pour massive amounts of resources and money into fake news campaigns, as well as other uh, security service officers' uh, surveillance operations. And interestingly, uh, YouTube and other social media channels are widely and quite intelligently, I have to give them that, uh, they do know how to use social media. So they have been using it quite skillfully and and uh, RT, for example, Russia Today, the Russian tool of Kremlin's information warfare, they were super actively uh, taking social media uh, under their control. Much sooner I learned that, for example, many Western media outlets, normal traditional journalistic outlets, so they have been conducting uh, information warfare and criminal attacks against Western individuals and uh, some of these individuals who have been targeted, unfortunately, have had their uh, career destroyed. Uh, many have had personal problems. Uh, many have had uh, long times in their lives when they were almost lying in the ditch. Um, and many have been uh, partly marginalized in the public debates. And I found these people and these examples from all around the Western world, for example, uh, America, as well as Serbia uh, in the Balkans, as well as Lithuania, Finland, Norway and Sweden. So it is really uh, unfortunately uh, so that uh, Putin and Kremlin and FSB and other security services exploit internet in order to attack and victimize Westerners who they don't like. Mm. I think that's one of the really interesting parts of your book is that you detail these stories and how they personally infected, uh, impacted the lives of individuals. Because I think the average person, when they hear about trolls on the internet, they 
They don't really understand that there's a real person whose life has been upended and overturned. And you really go into detail, uh, in, for, and for, um, you really go into detail on individuals who have been impacted. For example, a Swedish researcher. Um, another example would be Elliot Higgins, he, the British founder of Bellingcat, an open source investigation community. Uh, what were, what did your investigations find in regards to these particular cases? Oh, yes, definitely. I love it when you say that they're detailed because I, that was really what I was aiming at. I wanted to really follow every lead and trying to kind of like uh, use a very engineer-like uh, working method in which I wanted to uh, build timelines of how... Uh, Russian troll factories, fake news uh, machineries and proxy helpers have been building and uh, designing these campaigns against these individuals. So I um, I looked how they started and I went followed the really um, disgusting and uh, disturbing links and went further and further in the rabbit hole finding uh, often uh, already previously verified connections to either Russian security services or Russian troll factory, or in some cases, many of those. So for example, in the Elliot Higgins case, which you mentioned, super interesting, I really recommend everyone to follow Bellingcat and Higgins work. They are really extraordinary uh, visionary uh, volunteer community who started out with investigating the image 17 airplane, which was shot down by Russian uh, military intelligence in eastern Ukraine back in 2014. Uh, but Russia claimed and tried to portray to the whole world, world the idea that it was actually Ukrainians who shot down the plane and that Russians didn't have anything to do with it. But uh, Elliot and his community went after uh, the ones who actually did it and found all the information. So that's why then the Kremlin attacked Elliot personally, as well as uh, some other contributors of the community. So, for example, Elliot uh, has been target of a Russian insider called Russian Fake News Disgusting Filth uh, online newspaper. You can go and check it out. It still exists and it includes really nasty material um produced by, for example, some Russian really high-ranking military intelligence uh, officials uh, who have really uh, disturbing views of different world events. It's really trolling uh, online news mag. And so, for example, they um, produced tens of Elliot Higgins stories uh, referring to him for example, like human poop and something like this. Mm. Also then, of course, Sputnik, uh, the one of the RT family uh, fake news services operating internationally. They also have gone really heavily after uh, Elliot as well as RT. And, you know, Elliot has had even directly Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs attacking him and Bellingcat. They have been all over trying to claim that uh, Bellingcat's material is fake and infactual and has been staged, 
when in fact it has been them who have been staging material all along ever, ever since the beginning. Uh, the, the same day after the MH17 was shut down. So, but Elliot continued his work, his community continued investigations, they continued to be smeared. For example, uh, tens of troll factory related field stories were being planted online and so many different uh, attacks. But um, what I found with Elliot and with all these other people who are in the book and who share their stories and whose, um, whose experiences I detailed, uh, they have so big perseverance and they are so inspirational that no matter how hard they were dragged in the mud by Russians and Russian proxies, they still continued. And Elliot is one of these um, key individuals who helped establish the facts about MH17 being shut down by Russians, and that later led to even the International Investigative Committee using Bellingcat's information in their own research uh, when prosecuting uh, the Russian military uh, officers. So this is really meaningful job that people have been doing and who have then been just thrown under not just bus, but every possible imaginable uh, vehicle they have been put under by Russian trolls. Yeah, Elliot Higgins and uh, as the founder of Bellingcat, they've been doing such amazing work using open source investigations, um, really providing evidence because that's one tactic in Russian disinformation is when a crime is committed, whenever they're accused of something that they did, uh, they'll say it's fake news, there's no evidence, where's your evidence? And that's one thing that uh, Elliot Higgins and Bellingcat has been able to do is use open, open source investigation, open source materials to actually provide evidence of these Russian military operations. And they were being led by this gentleman by the name of Elliot Higgins, started what is essentially an online detective agency that he called Bellingcat. They were able to use geolocation, Google Maps and things like that, so they could very precisely say the convoy was in this location on this day at that time. And he's to this day currently doing it in the war in Ukraine, um, documenting where weapons are launched, and um, the movements of Russian troops and uh, some verifying evidence of possible war crimes. So he's still been very, very active in his whole team in helping to combat Russian disinformation and uh, spread the truth that pro by providing hard evidence, really harnessing um, the power of open source uh, materials in a very powerful way to try to counter Russia's lies. Uh, in many of the cases, as you mentioned, uh, it was the security services of Russia conducting the attacks and operating as online trolls. I find this so interesting because some casual observers, I mean, it seems like online trolls, like, who are these people? Who are these weirdos on the internet pretending <laughs> to be other people, pretending to be Trump supporters, pretending to be like 
some random person in Tennessee or whoever um, just running amok on the internet. But um, when they when there's thousands and thousands of bots and trolls and they're connected to real uh, influencers and um, this murky world of online information and disinformation, they do have this impact. Um, so when people say, you know, R- Russia, actually, there's this one ridiculous quote from Trump, I remember, where he um, was talking about Russian trolling and Russian online um, disinformation. And he said, oh, it could be a 400 pound guy <laughs> on a bed somewhere. He said this seriously during the Democratic I remember. <laughs> campaign, trying to deflect from the possibility from that where the source actually was, which was the Kremlin from Russia, um, from their area. Exactly. Um, so, and this is what your investigation does. It shows that the origin of this online trolling and that it actually does come from the Kremlin, from the security services of Russia. And there's one example that you provide, the case of uh, the Lithuanian ambassador. Can you tell me about uh, that? What happened to that Lithuanian ambassador? Yes, definitely. Renatas Yushka, uh, who was my friend and uh, my mentor. He unfortunately passed away in 2019. He's one of the bravest and brilliant and courageous people who I've been honored uh, to have met. And he was also actively supporting me and cheering for me when I was having a hard time with writing my book. And he was looking after me. So he's one of the also one of the early reasons why the book was originally made even because he shared his disturbing uh, story to me back in 2016 when we met uh, for uh, in in Lithuania in Vilnius so what happened to him he's one of the you could say uh, veterans of Russian information warfare because he has first been made target uh, mid 2000 so before the rest of us even realized that there is any information war going on or that uh, Russia is something to be uh, worried about, uh, he uh, was already back then trying to raise awareness about the potential Russian aggression against uh, Europe. And they were doing it with other Lithuanian diplomats uh, who had this experience of occupation by Soviet Union uh, in fresh memory. And they were trying to really uh, make the world to see. Uh, whereas Putin at the same time was kind of like playing that he's the friend of West and he's an ally and all that. But so he was also helping a Belarusian opposition, fragile opposition and journalists uh, were already disappearing at that time in Belarus. And with the help of Russia, Belarus was being turned into this like laboratory of Soviet Union uh, security service, um, um, like uh, just this dark place. It was taking the steps to where it nowadays is. So Renantas was trying to help these people um, uh, and for that, he became target of both 
the Belarusian security services as well as Russian fake news stories. So the first Russian fake news stories, they claimed that he had been basically planning to take the life of a Belarusian presidential candidate, when in fact it was a candidate that he had been supporting. So it was all over the Russian fake news state medias. But back then, the problem was that no one realized that there was such a phenomenon. And then after that, a scandal after scandal after scandal um, followed. And then when finally, when he was serving uh, early 2010, uh, actually 2013, to be precise, he was serving as the ambassador of Lithuania in Budapest, Hungary. Uh, his phone calls with another diplomat was eavesdropped, then manipulated and edited and put on YouTube by a troll named Zydrunas Gerintas. And that might seem like a real name, but it's actually not. And that video, and there was part one and part two videos, they are still on YouTube because YouTube is disgusting enough and disgraceful enough to keep them there. Um, yeah, even though I know Renatas has been reporting them, so these videos created like so big shitstorms, like these trolls t- try to do to create uh, scandalous shitstorms in many countries. In this case, uh, for example, in Lithuania as well as uh, Hungary, and then all media went after Renatas as well as his colleagues who were also eavesdropped and. They were portrayed in the media like they were stupid, reckless diplomats. And then uh, the uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs started to make decisions of calling them home. And uh, also Russian uh, trolls were making stories uh, that were fueling this scandal, like trolls often do. And in the end, the Lithuanian security service uh, investigated the case and found that it was indeed Russian security services who had conducted these operations and they had uh, manipulated these um, recordings. And Renatas wanted to share his story uh, in order to help us all. So he wanted to to help everyone see uh, how ordinary citizens, ordinary people who try to help, for example, human rights, they become targets of shitstorms when in fact it is the state that is being hit through these individuals. Uh, For example, in Rwanda's case, the Lithuanian state was being hit uh, by attacks against him and his colleagues. And so then the state should have also protected him. And this is one of the key lessons uh, of Renata's that that uh, these are of, o- always made look like as, as if they are attacks against individuals and as if these individuals were doing something scandalous and something evil and they should be sacked or at least disgraced and marginalized. Um, but when in fact the states should protect these individuals as this is part of information warfare coming from the Kremlin as well as hybrid warfare. And this is... Uh, Attacking these individuals is 
a Kremlin's way of trying to play the whole Europe and even America uh, in kind of like in its will. It just wants to. Um, it it basically wants to sack and remove all capable pro-democratic, pro-human rights people who are intelligent enough to see what's going on and try to um, make a change for positive. Uh, the Kremlin wants to remove them and disgrace them and insert some uh, Kremlin puppets to replace them, or right. at least some more neutral people, so-called neutral. Right. And that's what your book uh, reveals is that the, the way that Russia targets people that are just simply trying to tell the truth and that are pro-democracy and that are both tr- trying to shine a light on the truth of what's happening inside Russia and Russian influence operations, but also um, the discrediting these pro-truth, pro-democracy voices. So I think essentially when we're talking about this information war and Putin's information war, it's Putin's autocracy and his brand of lies, disinformation, authoritarianism versus the truth and democracy in the free world. Um, and I think that's really the essence of, um, I guess, the two sides on the, on the different differing fronts of the information war. And it's interesting that you bring up this Lithuanian ambassador, because as you discussed, that he's been trying to sound the alarm bell on this for many, many years before people even knew, like, took Russian disinformation seriously. Um, And recently, actually today, uh, I believe, the presidents of Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, they're on their way to Kiev to meet with President Zelensky and Poland and the three Baltic nations have emerged uh, as leaders in responding to Russia's aggression against Ukraine. And Russia's neighbors, Finland, where you are included, have been more concerned and more vocal about information warfare. Um, Earlier, they've been sounding the alarm bell than many in the West. Um, And this is something that we see from your investigations. Uh, What do you want people to know about Putin's trolls and the Kremlin's information warfare in general, as it's been dragging on for nearly a decade now, and it's turned unimaginably deadly and kind of culminated in this genocide. What is your message to the people in Ukraine, the people of the West, and uh, to your readers? I want everyone to know that it's not... um sure or it's not 100% guaranteed that these visionary good people who are working someone's in the publicity someone's in the background someone's in the diplomatic chambers it's not um, called for that they will continue their work tomorrow or next week People often take, for example, good journalism or good research or good diplomacy or um, such things as granted. They think that it's just something that is just easy to produce. It comes from everywhere. Anyone can do it. 
people who do it can do it in peace. Uh, well, here's the news. It, it doesn't go like that. Actually, people, people have to go through so much personal pain and suffering and um, even give out their other dreams in order to be able to conduct, for example, journalistic investigations or academic research uh, about uh, Russian influence operations. Because Russia makes everyone uh, or many to pay a really high price uh, for doing their job. So there's a war going on and unfortunately civilians are targeted and they are targeted with methods that have been originally produced to attack military personnel, not civilians. And those methods are actually really capable of messing up our brain, our decision making. I can, for example, say of my own experience that when I have been reading filth news stories about myself, claiming that I'm, for example, uh, worthless, drug using, bad teeth, Uh, CIA, uh, pro-NATO, pro-America agent. Mm. Some of the stuff uh, has actually impacted me in a manner that I have started to despise myself. I have started to question my own willingness to continue my job. I have been forced to take long breaks from my work. Uh, and they have really taken a toll sometimes. So I would say that it's important and crucial uh, that people see that it's uh, worth of support whenever they see, for example, strong journalism or strong research or strong whistleblowers as yourself and send them supportive messages because uh, we have all paid such a heavy price and these supportive messages coming from the audience who really respect and um, and want to hear our stories that we have to tell uh, and appreciate those stories. It is the most fulfilling feeling to receive those messages after being uh, smeared and trashed all over uh, on internet by Russian trolls. So... So keep on sending those love messages to people who have these difficult jobs and that gives everyone courage and strength. I agree. Sometimes it's uh, just one message, one email uh, that can just make your day and bring your spirits back up and give you the courage to continue. And I'm glad you brought up this element of um, information warfare that it also is psychological warfare. It's meant to demoralize and to degrade and to deter the target from continuing. Um, and uh, this information warfare, it's essentially democracy is under attack, the truth is under attack. <clears throat> and uh, in this venue through Putin's trolls, they attack the individuals that are trying to spread the truth and trying to defend democracy. And you, Jessica, are one of those people that have sacrificed a lot, but have persisted nonetheless, and wrote this very important book at this very important time, and has told your story and the stories of so many others that have also persisted 
um, in Russia's information warfare. I'm excited to read it, and I'm encouraging everybody else to read this important book at this time. Jessica, thank you so much, as always. Thank you, Liz. And I would like to mention that there is also a certain heroic Liz Walls story in the book. Uh, a certain Liz Wall, uh, a really brave lady from America, happened to uh, call out RT America as Putin's propaganda channel in live a show uh, as the last thing uh, when she resigned from RT back in 2014 due to uh, artists manipulating uh, her uh, good reporting, honest reporting, for example, about Russia's warfare in Ukraine. So thank you, Liz. And I am really looking forward to read your book that I hope to see very soon, please. It's in the works, it's in the works. I um, <laughs> But in order to hear more, you're going to have to buy Jessica's book. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, as always, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll we'll um, we'll talk soon uh, next week with our next very special guest on information warfare with Liz Wall and Jessica Aro. Thank you, Liz.